Welcome to. Hey, great shot. <laughs> Is that better for you, Alex? <gasps> you, man. This is the Great uh, Shot Podcast brought to you by Cracked Rackets. No, we can't use profanity like no, that. No, we'll quack it. No, it's it's not a good look. You don't like the early quack? I like an early quack. No, but yeah. we're, we're you know, we're respectful young men. We gotta, we gotta do better. Welcome to... Hey... Great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name's Alex Gruskin. Joining me, as always, my doubles partner, partner in crime, and the man who certainly needs a secretary, Max Rothman. Hey, great shot. God, if I had a secretary, that would be beautiful. Your alleged schedule is just false. It's not... Look at my Google calendar. Oh, look at my Google calendar. That was ridiculous. That was actually kind of funny. That was a good response. I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) I mean, I'd made my own Google calendar, but if someone else made it for me, it'd it'd be nice. For a 21-year-old? Yeah, Yeah, still 21. For a 21-year-old kid to have a Google calendar that's active and up-to-date is very responsible. So well done by you, Max Rock. Thanks, man. Unfortunately, our super producer, Max Fleener, could not be here today. Uh, Obviously, he's in the middle of his season at Dartmouth, and so we wish him well. We have to give him a special, hey, great shot on his team's 2-0 performance this weekend with wins over Indiana and Louisville. Unfortunately, he actually took an L this weekend in doubles. So again, Rothman, we got to get on his case. Too many L's in doubles. That's two in two weekends. We got to just give him a little showcase. We had one in all of 2017. That's true. And that loss was embarrassing, (laughs) but we won't bring that up now. But still, just for a little housekeeping, uh, we've got a a couple new articles up on the website. Got an article on TCU in the College Contenders series, uh, a few articles on some young talent. We've got the next-gen power rankings up. Uh, and, and be on the lookout for a little segment that Alex and I did as actually part of our last pod on Tennis Sandgren. Now, we're actually going to release that as its own little segment. Uh, you know, Tune in for that. We... You know, talked a little bit about what our thoughts, and uh, hopefully you guys find it interesting. Yeah, definitely. In terms of what we've been doing on the podcast note, don't think we forgot about you other next-gen players. So we actually recorded our last next-gen episode about Taylor Fritz before the Australian Open, and Rothman, we may have to go change that changeover chat because it might be a bit dated. There, there's definitely some things that could use some alteration. Another thing missing from our Taylor Fritz podcast, his result in these past two challengers from Newport and Dallas. Obviously, the challengers are really fun events for me and Max because we've spent a lot of time covering these next-gen players. And, you know, again, there's so many Americans in these draws. You have the Kudlas, the Klons, the Smeechaks, you know, the Fratangelos and Krugers, and obviously a the lot of... ties, the Gearons, the, yeah. Yeah, a lot of recent college grads as well. It's really the middle class of American tennis. They may not have the Grand Slam highlights yet, well, but... I don't think they'd like to hear that. No, I mean, but they're on the rise, like everyone. <laughs> no, they're right. working hard to keep working. If they're working hard to keep working. What is wrong with me right now? Hold on. It was a long, long weekend for the two of us. I'm waking up at 7 a.m. or like 6.50 now. I'm just tired. Okay. You have players of all different ages, and so we've been following along. That series is two events, one in Newport, one later on in February, I believe, at Indian Wells. And the player who accumulates the most points in those two challengers will actually get a main draw wild card into the event. So Newport's where we're going to start this week, Max. Uh, Before we get into the deep dive of these matches, Max, I want to give a special, hey, 
Great shot to all of our American winners in Newport. We have Riley Opelka, Taylor Fritz, Ty Kwiatkowski, Noah Rubin, Michael Moe, Stefan Kozlov, Mitchell Kruger, Bjorn Fertangelo, Bradley Klon, and the match we're going to start with. That's how you do a segue. I'm back on my feet. I'm ready to go. Denis Novikov defense, K Nishikori, 6-3, 3-6, Before we get into the Novikov match, Max, there were a ton of great tennis matches in these two weeks. And, you know, it's unfortunate that we had the Australian Open because we didn't get to dedicate as much time to these events as we'd like to. Obviously, given how quickly things happen on tour, we don't want to dwell on them for too long. So we want to get two challengers in in this podcast as opposed to covering one this week and one next week. In order to do that, we've decided to come up with a fun gimmick. Fligner, cue the new sound effect. In honor of the next-gen finals rule change instituting a shot clock into all of their matches, we're going to stick along with that theme, and we're going to introduce a shot clock into our coverage of these matches. This is obviously so that we can talk about as many of them as possible without going over two hours and forcing you to listen to you know way too much content. We'll be blabbling on and on and on. Nobody wants to listen to Alex talk that long. <laughs> exactly. The breakdown will be hour and a half me, half hour <laughs> you. But so, in order to do that, we're going to institute a three-minute shot clock for each of these matches. You know, we may go plus or minus 30 seconds on all of these, but the idea is we're going to try and get through the highlights of these matches as quickly as possible. To keep it a little bit fun, we're going to institute what we call medical timeouts. So, in order, you know, if there's a match you really loved and you want to talk about it a little bit longer than those three minutes, you get a two minute medical timeout. You can only use them once per challenger. That means, Max, we each get one during Newport, once in Dallas. Do you understand the rules? I do. Max Fligner, start the clock. Yeah, so we we got Kei Nishikori back. Um, Not the way I expected to see him come back. Uh, Pretty sloppy first match from him overall. Um, Came out pretty slow against Novikov. Um, Obviously, he's a hard player to... You know, get a rhythm with. He's got a big serve, pretty flat strokes, especially outside. It looked like the ball was moving uh, pretty fast, skidding across the court. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I was really expecting Nishikori to be able to take control of the match, put some more balls in play, but I mean, he was shanking some shots. It was uh, pretty interesting overall, just not the greatest match. And so we saw, saw him go down in three to a, a pretty solid Novikov, though, in my opinion. So a little bit more about Denis Novikov, because that's not the biggest household name. He's a 24-year-old player from California. I believe his family actually immigrated from Russia, mm-hmm. thus Novikov. Uh, he's a guy who went to UCLA, I believe, for three years. Is yeah. that right? Two or three Played years? Played number one for most of those. Was on the team that lost in the finals to Virginia mm-hmm. when Mitchell Frank's foot touched the net. I think he played one singles and actually lost in that match to Jermier Jenkins. And yeah, like you mentioned, huge serve. He's actually won the Kalamazoo boys 18s back in the day and has won a first round match at the US Open. I believe he beat our boy Jersey Janowitz. He did. So, you know, that's a little bit about him. Okay, I have two ways I want to go with this match. Number one, Nishikori. I think it is genius of him to play a challenger as his warm-up to get back on the tour. You know, this is a guy who has struggled with injuries, had to withdraw from both the U.S. Open and the Australian Open. Just a guy whose body clearly was not correct. And so rather than force himself into the Australian heat, rather than force himself to play three out of five sets, you know, Stan Wawrinka, another guy coming back from injury kind of... I mean, it's fair to say he he looked rough. You know, he didn't look healthy in his second round match versus Sandgren. And so, well, I mean, if you if you took current 
Nishikori, the way he played against Novikov, and you put him in the Australian Open, he's losing first round. Absolutely. And so for him to make this decision, to me, I equate it to the Spurs, who might be the smartest organization in all of sports, obviously the San Antonio Spurs, having Tony Parker play in the G League before coming back to the NBA. There is something to saying you have to get your match legs back under you. And Obviously, this first-round loss to Novikov is not what he would have liked, and you know I'll get into that match a little bit later, but what are your thoughts on that idea, that I mean, idea of playing a warm-up tournament? I mean, do you think that was a, a Nishikori idea or a coaching idea? I mean, Either way, Team Nishikori, if, even if it is his coaches, that's kudos just— to them. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's what you want out of your coaches, to make these smart, disciplined decisions. And obviously, the next week, Nishikori comes back, beats Novikov first round, ends up winning the Dallas Challenger, something we will get into later on in the podcast— the second point I want to make about this match involves, you know, the actual tactics of the match itself. Like you mentioned, Novikov's a guy with a huge first serve, a guy who, if you sit a ball short, he's going to take a crack at it. And, you know, he he's not the best lateral mover, but he likes to throw in the slices kind of when he's on the stretch as opposed to going for a topspin shot. I think he has a wristy forehand that he can also flatten out down the line. But again, a big guy, not the best mover. And in that third set... You know, it was 5-4, Novikov had held, and he had put pressure on Nishikori, and I think he, Nishikori threw in a couple double faults in that game, you know, made, I, I know, an unforced error on one of the points, and just, I don't think Nishikori played that well, and th- that's, again, why it's, you know, you look at these statistics, he's only winning 41% of points on his second serve, he lets Novikov, who's not the best returner, again, not the best lateral mover either, someone you think Nishikori wouldn't struggle against, and Novikov gets 15 break opportunities and converts four of those. In a three-set match, that's just not going to cut it. And two of those were at 5-3 in the second. I mean, he had a chance to come back and take that match, made some sloppy choices, and yeah, I mean, I mean, it was very evident that this was Kay's first-round match back uh, after a little break, and, you know, clearly he takes down Novikov the next week, which was interesting considering Dallas was actually indoors. I know. I, I completely agree with you. I couldn't believe that. I really thought that, that would have been tougher, especially with the serve. I mean, I don't know. And it's weird. If you watch that match, it actually looked like Kay, and maybe this was just a, a result of playing him two weeks in a row, but it looked like he figured out the serve. You beat me to my point. I think that's exactly it. Nishikori was comfortable, and when you become comfortable with the Novikov serve, because Nishikori is able to move the ball side to side so well from the baseline, there's just not that many ways Novikov can hurt him outside of gaining you know control of the point with his first serve. And we can get back to that Dallas first-round match later. But yeah, credit to Dennis Novikov taking advantage of this opportunity. Uh, taking advantage of a down Nishikori and, you know, propelling himself to a big win, a, a guy who's still in the top 30. And so you'll take that scalp whenever you can get it. Absolutely. In the first round of the Newport Challenger, Riley Opelka defeats Dennis Kudla, 7-6-6-3. Rothman, you go first. Well, I'm just going to break down some statistics for you because I think it's pretty interesting. They had the exact same first serve percentage, 65%, which is pretty solid. Um, obviously, you know, Opelka bringing in 81% of his first serves. Nuts. Not abnormal for a guy like him. And his kick serve, that second serve on the ad is just absurd. I think in the tiebreaker, his first three serves were, were, were aces. Yeah. Yeah, and one of them was a second serve out wide. Just ridiculous. It's unbelievable. I mean, his out wide serve is absolutely his strength. It's incredible. But yeah, I mean, he pretty much just took care of his serve, did what he had to do, and, and pulled out a pretty... Uh, 
I would say normal match for Opelka. Well, big win for him considering how hard Kudla pushed Dominic team. It's a testament to how close all of these guys are in level, and it's just a matter of matchups. I think it's really interesting. Anytime Riley Opelka has more break opportunities than his opponent in this match, he has eight to Kudla's four. And, of course, Opelka gets two breaks in that second set, breaks him at three all and then five three, whereas Kudla goes 0 for four and doesn't, you know, break that Opelka serve, which, as you mentioned, just ridiculous. I think it's interesting with Opelka, you know, in terms of big guys, they can only play such long points, and obviously the tactic you have to use is move them side to side, and you could tell that was Kudla's play. Never stay two in a row for too often. Go cross, cross, line, and then, you know, work the point, make Opelka work laterally and kind of dig down for balls. But to Riley's credit, if if Kudla ever left a ball short and in the middle, he snapped it off, and he really did a good job of attacking. Unfortunately, we don't have access to winners and unforced errors. I think in this match, Riley would have probably been in the positive margin. And anytime you know a seven, how many times we're going to mention it again? But a seven foot player, when you can get you know two breaks of serve, that's usually going to do it for you. Yeah, absolutely. And like you were saying, his game is going to rely on taking those short balls ripping them and coming on it. I mean, that's that's what he's got to start working on, and the more he can do that, the better he's going to get and the farther he's going to get. And I think we mentioned this in our next-gen pod about him, but in terms of returning and following that return into the net, I think he continues to get better and better at it, and, you know, Kudla's not a guy with the biggest of serves, and so Opelka was able to take advantage of that, put pressure on Kudla. Obviously, if you give it to the Kudla backhand, he's going to have an excellent shot at a pass, and he played well, you know, to his credit, he definitely hung with Riley, especially in that first set. Again, Riley's winning 81% of his first serve points. I don't know how you're going to beat someone when they serve like that. Yeah, I mean, this is just a perfect matchup for Opelka. Yeah, and so he did really well, and that's a credit to him. Okay, how are we on time? Oh, there, there it is. Not bad. See, this gimmick works. All right, let's move it on. Next match, reset the clock. Okay, Michael Moe defends Cam Norrie, the number five seed, six two six four. Give me your initial thoughts because I know you like this one. Yeah, I mean, I texted you about this because I was watching it. And Anytime I get a text, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I made the comment that Norrie looked like he was pushing oh throughout this gosh. match. And, and you, can't, you can't argue that. He it Really, his tactic clearly in this match was, I'm going to put in as many balls as possible and play high percentage shots and just see what I can do. But it turned into a little bit too much looping, in my opinion. And Mo pretty much took control of the match. He took balls early, came in. I mean, it, it was his match from the start. Well, I think one interesting stat I want to turn to before I get to you know some more speculative theories about the match. Number one, look at this first serve percentage. Nori serves 73% of first serves, yet he's only winning 54%, 54. of those points. That's unacceptable. I don't know how that happens. And you know, I watched this match in full because I was really interested in this matchup. And Nori is an aggressive player. I very much disagree with you. I think that's perfect evidence of why I said he wasn't being aggressive in this match. If he's making that many first serves and losing that many first serve points, it means he's not doing enough on that second ball. He's clearly not trying to take control of the point. Well, now it's time to play Speculation Jones because I want to talk about when, as an opponent, playing Michael Moe. Michael Moe's number one weapon is his speed. You can't deny it. He will hit a slice understanding that you're going to come in behind it, and he's going to have a look at his pass. And whether it's the backhand pass up the line, whether it's the forehand, I think he hits it really well, short angle, cross court as a pass. I also think he's fast enough to kind of flatten down the line and beat you to the spot. Mm -hmm. Again, he's got all the passing shots at his availability. He even throws in the lob, and I'm a big fan of the lob. I think it's dying in singles play, and I think he does it well. The real pro at the lob is Mackie. (laughs) Well, we'll get into that. But so in terms of speculation, 
Michael Moe is going to put relentless pressure on you. And like you said, when you're only winning 54% of your first serve points, you're going to lose confidence. You're going to say, I just need to make that second ball and get the point back at neutral. And Michael Moe thrives at neutral. And it's interesting because Cam Norrie, again, a lefty with a big forehand, and I think he kind of flatly pushes his backhand. Yeah, he does. And so it, it's kind of, and again, I'm sorry for ranting so long, but I really thought this match was interesting because I think the parallel was when Michael Moe played Mishka Zverev, we saw the same thing in the second set. You remember that match in Brisbane? That's a match Michael Moe won in three sets. Yeah, Mishka. I thought Zverev started pushing too. He and did. I, he got on the defensive. And so it, it's the Michael Moe syndrome. That's the argument I'm trying to make. This isn't the first time we've seen this. And you see a But it's such a ridiculous thing because. It's Mo. You should not be playing that game. Well, so I'm so excited you said this because Michael Mo. Oh, okay. Uh-oh. Oh, is this, is this here? Is this here? I'm not going to use it now. I'll just say this. I don't think Michael Mo has any weapons, and therefore, when you're playing him, you know, you can outgrind him because eventually he'll try and get too aggressive and he doesn't volley well enough. But we need to move on. You can uh, address that, it. That now. was almost a point penalty, in my opinion. <laughs> I might have to issue one there. That is definitely a warning. That's yeah, my first a warning. warning. Red flag. Okay, we will move on to our next match. Fligner, start the clock. Miomir Kesmenovic defends Francis Tiafo, the number two seed, 6 4, 3 6, 6 3, Maxi to serve. <laughs> Me to serve. Nice. So. This was a match I actually didn't know much about uh, Kesmanovic before this. and uh, I just, just have to, to throw this in, and I'm sorry, this is another warning, but I have a specific category called Who is Miomir Kesmanovic? And I am going to read it <laughs> off to you guys right now. We also want to apologize for butchering that pronunciation because I don't know exactly how to say it. I believe as a Serbian, it's Kesmanovic. Was that supposed to be no, a Serbian just accent? Go on, yeah, go okay, on. we're, we're going to... Ignore that. So, uh, Kazminovic is an 18-year-old Serbian. Uh, he made the 2016 U.S. Open Junior Final. He is a former Orange Bowl winner. He also finished 2016 as ITF number one. So, clearly, really established player. He's had some good results. Uh, currently, he's at his career high of 190 in the world. So, definitely someone we're probably going to start seeing in uh, these challengers and maybe in some of these uh, bigger tournaments as we move on. Well, you know, when you're top 200, you get a chance to play qualifying at the Grand Slam. Yep. That's obviously a huge opportunity to be an 18-year-old inside the top 200, especially given how physical the game is now, is a tremendous accomplishment. So, yes, the future is bright for him. I want to talk about this match a little bit because one of the big stats I look at is, you know, you look at break opportunities. Tiafo goes 1 of 10 in this match. and It's tough. You know... Not often is Francis Tiafo the older player, the more experienced, the wise guy in a matchup. But in this case, you know, he is. He's facing an 18-year-old. And I don't know if you mentioned this, but yes, Kesmenovic was a former world junior number one. He ended the year as the world champion. Clearly so, to me. Not really. But so they both have, you know, excellent pedigree. And this is one of those next-gen final matchups where when you're looking back, if you're a few points down, you'll say, oh, how did I lose to Kesmenovic in a third set? And to Francis Tiafo's credit, he absolutely obliterated a racket at the end of this match. Oh, wow. I mean, that was like a five slams. I mean, that thing was... That's a cracked racket for you. (laughs) Hey, great shot. (laughs) Absolutely. But so you look at the, you know, the differences in this match. First serve percentage. Kesmenovic only hits 55% of his first serves in, but he does win 70% of those points. You look at a thing that differentiates them, you know, points won on the second serve. Kesmenovic goes 60%, while Tiafo only goes 50%. But I just want to talk about serving points in total. Francis Tiafo had 88 serving points. Kesmenovic had 101 serving points. And clearly that just means tons of deuce games no, in a three set, that's what I'm saying Francis 
just goes one of ten on breakpoint opportunities. Clearly, he was getting into those serving games. And, you know, talking about Kesmanovic's style in terms of the thing he does well, you mentioned it earlier. Fantastic mover. Oh, yeah. I mean, he got to every single ball in this match. I loved watching him move. The thing I hated, Nike. Jesus Christ. I'm so happy you said that. Please mix up their freaking outfits. It's so annoying. Perfect way to end that match. I'll just say Kesmanovic lasted that much longer. He outgrinded Tiafa. Hey. You have a warning. I know. I gotta stop. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> be careful here, buddy. Sorry. If anyone knows me, this is usual. All right. Before we start the next clock, a couple other notable results. Ernesto Escobedo loses first round 6-3, yeah. uh, 7-6 to Mateus Bockinger. You know, Escobedo was seeding this tournament, but we really haven't seen him do well these past maybe six months. And just a guy to be watching out for because we both said in our next-gen preview of him, high upside. And I, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, he, he really hasn't shown too many uh, good results in the last couple weeks, so hopefully he can start to pick it up. Absolutely. Another guy who disappointed in the first round of Newport, Tommy Paul, yep. lost to Christian Guerin, I believe a former junior French Open champion, mm-hmm. 6-4, 6-3, you know, on the outdoor hard courts in California. I feel like that's Tommy Paul's place to thrive. Seriously. But, uh, you know, I'm sure he'll be fine. I'm not worried about it. Sometimes results like this happen. And then your boy Kozlov had a nice result against Guillerme Ooh. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce these. Klizar. Klizar, yeah. Sure. Uh, nice 2-3 and three win there. You have Mitch Kruger with a nice win over Goncalo Oliveira. Uh, that sounds good to me. That's yeah, a, we got some tough We're just trying here. to show off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he beats him 7-6-6-2. Another one of my boys, No Ruben, beats Tim Smechek in an All-American battle 7-6-6-2. Obviously, we had Bradley Klon and Yannick Hanifman. Two guys who were big in college, Klon, a former NCAA singles champion, Hanifman, a three-time team champion at USC. They're playing first round, and Klon beat Hanifman 4-3. and three. For Tangelo beat Stanford senior Tom Fawcett, 6-4, 6-2. And then last but not least, and we'll use this as our transition, Ty Kwiatkowski beat Marcello Arvelo, 6-4, 6-4, in order to set up a matchup with Taylor Fritz. I do want to get into that match, but before you start the clock, because I don't want to get cut off, these matchups were first rounds at the Challenger level. And this is what I was saying earlier, is we got a lot of these former top college guys playing. I mean, this is high-quality first-round tennis. It's fun. It's unbelievable. And if you have a Challenger in your area, we cannot recommend this highly enough. Go to it. Seriously. Go watch these. Go support these guys. I mean, look, you've got guys like Stevie Johnson, who used to be in the place that all these guys are at now. These guys could be top 40, top 30 in a couple of years. It's absolutely high-quality tennis. I agree with you. Definitely go watch if you can. So we're talking high-quality tennis. Let's get back into our matches. Maxie, start the clock. Taylor Fritz, the number three seed in Newport, takes out Tyson Kwiatkowski, 6-4, 6-4. This was the second-round match. Again, Maxie to serve. So, interesting. I, I thought Fritz was kind of sloppy in this first set, and, and I think this is a match, actually, that bodes well for Fritz. I think Ty doesn't do too much to really put any pressure on Taylor, and and obviously Taylor isn't the fastest guy out there, but I think this is a match where he showed that he took control of the court pretty much from the beginning, uh, but it it was a little sloppy from him in in that first set. However, in that first set, there was uh, a controversial call that gave Fritz the break and ended up giving him that first set, and I, I saw some, you know... It was that forehand on the run passing shot, yep. right? And I'm I tell- thought it was in. Oh, I do not. Oh, see, you and Ty would have both hooked in that situation regardless. <laughs> oh, give me a break. <laughs> and I'm joking around. Ty Kwiatkowski was kind enough to do an interview with Cracked Interviews, and so look forward to that. Go check that out. Go check out the Cracked Interviews podcast. 
So, you know, Ty, if you listen to this, I'm just joking. You, you wouldn't have hooked him. But I really did think the ball was out. I, I just think there's been this common theme in these challenges of players being increasingly frustrated with line judges. And, I, and I, that was just kind of a classic example. So then my qu- no, 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 I don't want to get away from the match. Yeah, no okay, let's go back to okay. the match. So back to the match, you're looking at the things that separate the two of them. Win percentage on the second serve. Fritz does a decent 45%. Not exactly what you'd want, but not horrible. But Ty only wins 30% of his points, going 8 of 27. You know, they were relatively similar on the first serve percentage, but in terms of protecting their first serve, Fritz, again, just that little bit better. He wins 81% of his first serve points, while Ty only wins 73. Uh, You know, the big one I keep turning to are break points, and Fritz had 8 in this match. Ty only had 1. Uh, that that's the difference. You know, Fritz is routinely getting into the serve. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the one thing that I want to see more of from Fritz and and what I think gave him also the upper edge in this match was just the utilization of his forehand and, and being aggressive. I think that is, again, and I know we've said it before, what's going to separate him, uh, but that is at times where I was disappointed in this match. I'm charging up for a take. I got to get it out quickly. Okay, I'm going to be Ty's advocate for a second. What are the things Ty Kwiatkowski does really well? Moves First of well. all, moves incredibly well I, I agree with you but another thing that stands out to me is the first you ruined my flow <laughs> is the first serve is the first serve just the power on his first serve is incredible I believe at a challenger I think it was Winnetka he got clocked in the 140s ridiculous just incredible raw power I think he can really go after the forehand when he chooses to and that's a ball he can hit both cross court with angle and spin as well as flat down the line and really penetrate his opponent I think he hits a good backhand down the line the one thing I don't like too reliant on the like the stretch slice backhand. Mm-hmm. When Agreed. he's on the defensive, he automatically goes to the slice. And like you mentioned, against an aggressive player like Fritz, that can't happen. Let's go. I, I saw you looking at the clock. <laughs> I was going to let you finish that little rant. You have any final thoughts? You're, you deserve oh, a point no, I'm, penalty. I'm, I'm not going for that point penalty. Well, no, I'm saving we'll talk, my warning ex- for a, a later exactly. date. Exactly. We'll talk plenty about Fritz later. So that was just my two cents on Ty. You know, good performance from him, though. Second round, tough draw. All right, let's get to our next match again. Start the clock. Kasmanovic defeats Stefan Kozlov in the second round, 6-3, 6-4. We don't have to talk about this match too long, but you know I very much enjoy Kozlov. Get out your Kasmanovic takes you needed from the Tiafo match. I mean, look, <laughs> I, I think Kasmanovic is a great player. He moves well. Uh, I really i am excited to see him play different types of players. I'm curious how his game's going to hold up against some guys who have really big games um you know i think this match is a good example of why i think he will be successful is that he is able to take a guy like kozlov who isn't going to hurt you too much with his game and he was aggressive and was able to (laughs) hang his face from you that's just pure dismay that (laughs) oh man i'm just trying to buy time yeah i know i i am not the biggest kozlov fan i know he's a good player i respect his game However, I just don't think he has many weapons. I don't see what it is about him that is going to allow his game to take him very far. So before I address that point, one thing I have to say about this match, these guys both have the same racket. We're both dressed in the pink same and black Nike clothing. Nike. You could not differ- If I didn't know what Kozlov's ground strokes look like, I would not have known who was who. Nope. And both of these guys, I think, move particularly well. And so you saw mm-hmm. a lot of long baseline points. 
My thing in this match, Kozlov recently switched to Babolat, and who am I to speculate about rackets, but I am not a fan of Babolat. I just think whenever you make that decision, you're saying, I just need the power. I'm just going for the pure swing, and I've lost all feel, and I'm just not a fan of Babolat rackets. Sorry, if they want to sponsor us, I'll change my mind, but I just, as of now, it's <laughs> yeah, not the racket the, for me. You, yeah, you're a Prince Graphite guy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but in terms of Kozlov, the Babolat, you're right. He doesn't have the most natural power on his ground strokes. I think he has the best feel of any of these next gen guys and the Bablot oh, may help so him get debatable. <laughs> oh I'm not gonna get into it now you got a minute go well I just think the Bablot allows him that additional power on his swing which he needs given my stereotypes of Bablot rackets yeah I think it helped you're looking at the things that differentiate them again the second serve for Kozlov only winning 42% of those points that's just not gonna cut it uh, you look at Break opportunities. Kozlov has three and goes two of three. Kasmenovich has six and goes four of six. You know, it was one break per set. This was a close match. It really wasn't either or to me. Yeah, the margins were pretty small in this. And kind of like I was saying, I think, you know, Kasmenovich took advantage of the few points where he needed to be big and aggressive. And I'm excited. To, again, I'm excited to see where he goes. He's young. I agree. When you don't have a weapon, or at least you don't have the most exquisite weapon, or your weapons are just misfiring even slightly, Kasmenovich is too solid, makes too many balls laterally, just won't hurt himself. And he didn't in this match. And in the end, he wasn't able to come up with a, a good enough attacking plan to take advantage of Kasmenovich's weaknesses. I think we just beat the clock. Are you want to move on? Yep. All right, let's move on. Our next match. Oh, before we get into our next match, notable results. So a few other results that we've got. We have Bradley Klon taking down Mitch Kruger, 631664. It's a nice win for him. Again, Christian Guerin taking down Bjorn Fertangelo, 6310 with a retirement. You know, Darian King also taking down our boy Mo in three sets. And then Noah Rubin with a nice win over Alexander Bublik in three sets, 7-6 in the third. So, And another one, I actually moved it on the outline. Sorry, I hit it from you. Opelka beat Novikov 6-4, 6-4. One stat I want to mention from that match, Opelka hit 19 aces, no double faults. That's awesome. That'll do it. Yeah, I mean, that's why he won that match. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's get into the quarterfinals again. Start the clock. Taylor Fritz defends Noah Rubin, 6-3-6-2. This is a rematch of the Numia Challenger Final mm-hmm. at the beginning of January. That's a match. Rubin won 5-4. and four. Again, Rothen, what do you see? So I'm going to talk a little bit about Fritz here as a whole. I think this was one of the better matches I've seen Fritz play in a while. And this is where I'm now starting to develop kind of an interesting take on Fritz. He seems really volatile to me. So there's this match where I, I actually thought he moved really well. I was loving the taking little steps around the ball, really utilizing his movement around the backhand so he can be aggressive on the forehand. I loved everything he did in this match, but I don't see him always playing like this. Well, I think Noah Rubin offers him a unique opportunity to be constantly aggressive. You talk about natural weapons. You know, Rubin, again, has the speed. And in Numia, anytime you know... Fritz opened up the court even the slightest. He would hit the angle and take time away from Fritz, and he played tremendous in that match. He's hitting passing shots everywhere. Yeah, played outstandingly well. He didn't play that well in this match, and yes, I agree with you. Fritz played phenomenally well. He did an excellent job of opening up the court, specifically with his inside-in forehand, but also with his cross-court forehand. I think he was finding tremendous angle in this match. Agreed, and I mean, the the big stat that clearly shows the... The difference here was the points won on first serve. Fritz winning 78%. Ruben winning 58%. 21 of his 36 first, po- 
first serve points, that's just unacceptable. I mean, the Fritz serve plus one has gotten better and better. And again, we don't have access to net points, but Fritz is doing a better job of coming forward. I remember specifically in the first set, I believe I believe it was to break for the first time, there was a point where Ruben was scrambling side to side and Fritz decided to sneak in because he had taken the angle away from Ruben. And even though it wasn't the hardest volley, it's just a volley we're not accustomed to seeing him hit, and he hit it comfortably. Agree, and that's what we've been saying he's got to work on and look, it worked, <laughs> so he's got to keep doing it. Yeah, and I just want to get into your volatility theory real quick. I disagree with you. I think it's a physical thing. I think when Fritz is moving well, when he's confident, when he's saying, you know, I can get stretched on the back. Well, exactly. That's that's the difference. I'm saying he his movement is volatile. He's some. I feel like I'm watching him at times, and he's moving like a little speed rabbit across the court. And then at times, I wouldn't go that far. Okay, right. That's, that's a little much. But then at times, I I feel like he's a, a hippo, and he's just <laughs> he's looking for the big bombs, and that's it. And I, I wish I could see more of this quick movement from him because when he does, he plays such good tennis. I love watching. Well, it. speaking of big man tennis, you know I'm ready to transition since we have Fritz in our next match. Wow. Let's just keep rocking and rolling. Okay, beat the clock. Exactly, new clock. Taylor Fritz in the semifinals matches up with his best man Riley Opelka. This is Romeo versus Juliet, just tennis form. But Fritz wins the match six three seven six. I'm just gonna come out and say it. This was not the most entertaining of tennis. This was a lot of big serves, big second shots, short points. Yeah. I mean, I was saying the same thing. It was pretty much what you expected to see from this match, but there is a drastic... There's some fun stats in this one. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a drastic difference in one of the stats that we have to point out. Points won on second serve, Fritz, 25 of 33, 76%. Opelka... 33%. I mean, that's horrible. But then you look at first serve percentage, Opelka makes 63% of his first serves and wins 80% of those points. So again, easy holds for him. And in theory, you know, Fritz only had four break opportunities. And so you can tell Opelka was serving well. But then you look at Fritz's first serve percentage, 47%. And so you add, like, the question is, what leads to that? And in my opinion, when looking at the tactics of this match, it comes down to how do you play Opelka? You get him stretched. You get him moving side to side. And I think even more so than power in terms of first serve, Fritz was focused on his placement in this match and extending, you know, Opelka out wide on the end and then the forehand cross, and that's his serve and plus one combo for this match. I mean, also, clearly, Fritz was attacking the Opelka second serve, and he knew he had to. I mean, if you look also, Opelka had eight double faults. Clearly, he was starting to get a little rattled by these second serve returns, and I think that was a huge reason that Fritz was able to pull this out. And you look at, you know, the serve percentages for Fritz, he wins 76% of his first serve points. He also wins 76% of his second serve points. He was just tidying up his serve, and, you know, I don't know if it was too much action for Opelka. I don't know exactly what it was, but it just seemed like he struggled all day, you know, putting Fritz on the defensive with his return, and he didn't have those opportunities to move forward in his returning games, and that kind of took away from his experience. Agreed, and look, like we said, this is a match you kind of expected to see, so I think we've talked pretty much all we can about this, and I think it's time to move on to the finals after taking down Opelka against Bradley Klon. Were we good on that match, stop clockwise? We got it? Oh yeah, we that was, that was a quick one. I like it, I like it, we're flowing now. So Fritz took down Bradley Klon, 3-6-7-5-6-0. By the way, Fliegner, cue the clock. I'm going to let you start this one off. I know we talked about how it's interesting with the Bradley Klon backhand slice to the Fritz forehand. Give me a little bit about what you thought about this match. Well, first and foremost, Bradley Klon gets revenge for Tommy Paul by beating Christian Guerin in the semifinals. He ends the run of Miomir Kesmenovic in the quarterfinals. 
and you know Kazmanovic was playing really well, but credit to Klon for getting there. You know, Klon's about 27 years old now. He's a former career high of 60 in the world, or right around 60. That might not be exactly it, but the idea is he has played at a top 100 level before, and yes, he has had some terrible injuries, and obviously his ranking right now is reflective of the time he missed in 2016 and in 2017. But he's playing at a tremendous level. He has a very, you know, difficult to deal with lefty game, which is heavy lefty forehand spin, cross court attacking his opponent's backhand, heavy slice on the lefty serve to get you stretch. A guy who only hits backhand slices as well. And okay, that's not fair. He does come over the backhand occasionally. Not very much. But exactly, it's a it's like a Steve Johnson primary backhand. It's a, le- slice. a lefty version of Stevie. And that's a testament. They went to college at the same time together yep. before Steve Johnson went on his two year run. Bradley Klon actually won the NCAA singles title. If only Ryan Thatcher was still here. <laughs> That's your boy. Shout out to AJW. Uh, but yeah, I think Klon is the real deal. I thought he played really well in this match. I thought his lefty game, getting Fritz stretched on the backhand side, made Fritz uncomfortable. And you could tell in the first set, because again, Klon actually won the first set of this match 6-3. You know, Fritz was uncomfortable. And this is actually the match that ruined my final experience for the Australian Open, because I was trying to watch it, and that's when the CNN notification came oh, up. Yeah. So I'm a little bit bitter. But it was a high-quality tennis match, and to watch Fritz adjust and, you know, routinely, if you're looking for a pattern that defined this match, he routinely attacked the Fritz, or, sorry, he he routinely attacked the Klon backhand side and just waited for him to hit one slice short, and then he'd work him either forehand down the line or forehand short angle. I thought he played really well. Agreed, and in the one shot that I think also Fritz did a good job with was the low slice to his backhand did a really good job rolling over that, taking it cross-court when he needed to. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a whole lot to say about this match. Fritz played really well. I love to see the adjustment from first set to second set, and then obviously in that third set, a 6-0 set, he really just took it to him. The big stat that jumps out to me, second serve percentage, Klon on his second serve points goes 12-42, of 42, winning only 29% of those points. I mean, Fritz figured it out. He said, you can attack me. You can make me stretch on the backhand, but I'm going to routinely get the ball deep down the center, make you hit an angle, and I'm gonna, if you you know, if you know, go after my backhand, I'm going to go down the line and attack your backhand, and it's on you. Right, and look, I think this is maybe a new theme that we're going to see from Fritz where he's starting to attack second serves of players. He did this against Opelka, did it against Klon, successful in both matches. So maybe he's kind of found that this is maybe his niche to kind of Attack that second so oh, wow. Do you want to use it? We didn't use it. I'm using mine. I will take my medical timeout just right. so we can get two more seconds on this match. Go, Go ahead. Sorry, finish your another, thoughts. Got another 60 seconds here. Well, again, I, uh, so, yes, Taylor Fritz, aggressive returner, I agree with. I think, you know, the more aggressive, uh, the best Taylor Fritz is an aggressive Taylor Fritz, and we saw this all tournament long. I thought, again, the pace he displayed on the forehand, the pace he displayed on the backhand, his movement looked better, his willingness to move forward, even if the volleys weren't always great, it's still an improvement to show, you know, I understand this needs to become a part of my game, and if it doesn't, I'm going to struggle because, you know, if I have an off-moving day, I'm not going to have everything working, and it's a testament to his hard work that he was able to take home this title. Absolutely, and Klon double faulted ten times, similar to Opelka. Clearly, that second serve aggressiveness is causing him to get some free points here and there, which is also awesome. Look, Fritz has now won four Challenger titles. He's ranked eighty-one in the world. He's winning this Challenger and getting some points for that Oracle Wild Card. So, hey. He did everything right this tournament, and congratulations on this title. And, you know, when you look back at our next-gen power rankings, I have Fritz third in terms of current ability behind 
one guy who we haven't done yet, and Donaldson. If you look in the rankings, it, he currently is the second highest ranked American, 21 and under, behind Donaldson. He has now passed Tiafo and passed Escobedo. Yeah, he took last year's clay season off, but but Fritz looks ready to rock and roll this year. He looks excellent. Yeah, I also have Fritz um, at number three for current ability, and uh, I have him at number five for potential. So, as do I. Yeah, I mean, we- little sneak peek if you didn't listen to the Fritz pod. Yeah. <laughs> So look, I mean, he he clearly has the potential, I think, and Fritz clearly is just, you know, playing well right now. I love to see it. As I've said, his movement is getting better. He's getting more aggressive. Everything that we've hoped to see from him is kind of coming into play and uh, you know, let's let's hope that he continues to do that for the next couple months. Absolutely. And when you look back at this Newport tournament again, Thank you for Oracle for putting on this event. Newport was a gorgeous sight. The live stream worked well, and I challenge your ability to actually see these calls, Max Rothman, considering you're watching these matches on a live stream and not in person. Nevertheless, that shows how clear the picture was, and so again, great event. I look forward to watching this in the future and look forward to their challenger in Indian Wells. There yeah. is another challenger we want to talk about. That I beat you to it. <laughs> I, had a, I had a great line, too, as oh, I say. The no. live stream is does a really good job at getting rid of those commercials, but we've got a commercial for you. Stay tuned for one of our fake ads. And we'll be right back. And now, another fake advertisement from our new sponsor, Big Banger. Big Banger. Do you like to Big Bang? Boy, you were in Vegas. You tell me about the Big Bang. Oh, the Big Bang was every night, baby. Ernesto Escobedo, Big Banger. If you have a big forehand, you need big bangers so you can keep on big banging. Banging. Big banger. Welcome back to... Hey, great shot. Hey, hey, great great shot. shot. I like that one. I can get behind that. Given the length of our reviews of the Newport and Dallas Challengers, and again, that's a testament to the quality of those draws and just how good the tennis was, we're actually going to end up splitting those tournaments into two separate podcasts. We're going to try and release them both this week, of course, so just you know, don't be upset. People in Dallas who did well, we did talk about you, and we're going to get that episode out as soon as possible. Regardless of how long our reviews of those tournaments were, one thing we never skip out on, Fligner, cue the drum roll, please. It's time for this week's Changeover Chat. The Changeover Chat. A little flat. Last oh, week's... Let, let me go again, then. The Changeover Chat. That was gorgeous. So something that Alex and I brought up a little bit earlier was that I had this interesting idea of, of what we could do to change line calls. I obviously mentioned that there were a lot of uh, clearly complaints from players about line judges not getting it right, and so I had this hypothesis that we could probably implement into at least the challenger circuit. Alex, tell me what you think about this. What if we had all of the players make their own line calls? They're each given three challenges, and if they call the ball wrong and are corrected by the shot, by the hot spot, they then lose a challenge, and if they are out of challenges and call a ball wrong, they actually lose an additional point. The idea behind this being... You can see the confusion on I my know. face. The idea behind this is to encourage but, honesty from the players. Obviously. But well, So number one, there has to be a ramification for cheating. I'm totally in on players calling their own lines. I've said that from the get-go. It adds a, a human element to the match, this right. idea, and even more so of a competition one-on-one. And I want to see who the hooks are. I genuinely want to know who has terrible eyesight. Or just on the big points, you know... <laughs> We mentioned this, I think, earlier in the Ty Kwiatkowski-Taylor Fritz match. 
Ty calls that ball out. Like, there's no doubt. Oh, and, absolutely. And can the chair umpire from across the view, you know, call that ball and overrule him? Maybe not because it's far sideline. And so That's hard. the only opportunity for that to really happen is, you know, matches that can support shot spot. And, you know, the random challengers and futures, they're never going to have shot spot technology on the court, or at least not until, you know, 50 years from now when shot spot's old and we're not even playing tennis. We're in our rooms just playing the Wii. But <laughs> I just think... Yeah, I, I mean, I love the idea. Someone has to be able to overrule the player in case the calls get egregious. And just when you don't have challenges, what are the ramifications? It's just a hook? Yeah, I mean, so no, that that's the idea is that once you're out of challenges, that means either one, you've made too many bad calls and you're losing challenges. Two, you've just missed your challenge call on the other person. So this would only be at the majors, right? Or at places they have shot spot. That's sure. the only place you yeah, can yeah, do Yeah, this is the only way. I and guess you, you add the human element of calling your own lines. Just imagine it's Fed Chilich, that fifth set. You remember that first game? There were yeah, like yeah. eight break opportunities for Chilich or whatever. See Hook at some point and just give it a go and pray? You know Fed's not hooking. <laughs> or is he? Isn't he the worst at challenges? No, I've, I thought he's pretty good. I thought it was like some person because he just throws challenges out because like it doesn't matter. Yeah, he, I winning. mean he's gonna win anyways. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. I like the idea of calling your own lines. It, at the only thing slams, you have to have line. Like someone has to be keeping it honest. That's true. The only thing I will say is I think half the reason I took a quick hiatus during my USTA years is because of how many kids cheated, like yourself. Please, <laughs> me cheater. Yeah, you're right. You just call the ball as you see it. Exactly, which is you usually... convinced yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I, like, I think part of the reason I quit was I hated the USTA circuit because of how many kids just called balls in, or excuse me, called balls out that were clearly in. It's just a frustrating aspect of the sport. And, and you know what? Maybe that's what we need to see on the Pro Tour. If Rublev gets hooked by, like, Tiafo, does he throw He's a racket at him? jumping across the net. Oh, and... <laughs> Rublev seems like the one with the temper. It's like no matter who he plays. Yeah, I mean, calling their own lines, is it's interesting. I certainly like it. It's I don't know how feasible it is is really my big problem. It's, yeah. it's just at the lower levels. And then, you know, talking about USTA, they can't afford to have line judges on oh, every no, court. No, and definitely so, not. Part of the fun, so I used to line judge for my coach a little bit just because he would run tournaments and he'd ask me to help. And I once had to do some boys' tens matches, and it's just oh, atrocious. I mean, everything is just... It scores wrong. It's out of your reach. I, <laughs> I swear it was just this far out when the ball was in the service line. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting idea. I don't hate it. Uh, you know what I do hate, though? Nike. Like, come on, Nike. Again, another loser we just have to mention this week. No, no, no. That's not fair. Nike, please sponsor us. But this idea that black and pink, I don't get it. Uh, yeah. Uh, the fact that it's still, like, their main clothing that's out right now is... That was an Australian Open thing. People clearly didn't like it. Move on. It's like a strawberry uh, Klondike bar. It's like the chocolate outside. Yeah, the strawberry maybe, maybe they should partner. I just really want ice cream. Yeah, <laughs> that's clearly. Really, <laughs> that's the big theme. And that means it's probably time to wrap up the show. Special shout out, as always, to Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, our two super producers who make us sound as clean as possible. You know, We always appreciate your work, and we ask you again, go check out some of our work at CrackRackets.com. If you want to reach out to us, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, come comment in the Crack chats we'd love to banter back and forth with you if you have any questions you want us to address on the pod please just tweet them in you know again we've got a ton of fun content coming your way continuing with the next gen series we've got some really fun college tennis interviews planned and we're going to get into the college tennis season again as this winter goes along but max rothman as always thank you for taking the time i know how busy you think you are 
Dude, again, you haven't seen the Google Calendar. You haven't calendar. seen my Google. I think we just titled the episode. <laughs> but as always, for Alex Gruskin, for Max Rothman, for our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, we say to you, hey, great shot. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, everyone. A Great Shot Production. Great shot.